Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. See, I knew, I knew we had to have some addicts in the house. Did you know that since Farmville started in uh, 2009, there are now 75.2 million Farmville users on Facebook? That means that people that have never even driven past a farm are now suddenly online virtually managing their own crops. They're growing their own trees. They're, they're taking care of their own livestock. They're building barns and stables. Man, they've never even been in a barn, and, and, they're, and they're building barns online it's it's unbelievable but that's what's going on and so uh we've been talking about that a little bit and how many of you've ever actually been on a real farm raise your hand all right you bunch of rednecks see y'all been trying to dress up and act like y'all urban y'all just a bunch of rednecks i grew up in west oklahoma anadarko oklahoma there happened to be a few farmers in uh that part of the country uh in fact i went to church in a little town uh, called Apache, and there were quite a few farmers that attended our church on a regular basis. And I learned some lessons about farmers that I'm going to clue you in. This will help you through the course of your life, all right? Here's some things you need to know about farmers. Number one, farmers tend to drive really, 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 really slow. And they don't care how big of a hurry you are in when you're behind them. You can honk. You can wave your fist at them. They will not speed up. I don't know if they have one of those little governors on their truck and it won't go beyond 15 miles an hour. But they always drive slow. Why? I don't know if it's they don't have anywhere to go or just, just they're just, the rhythm of life for them is a little slower. They just drive slow. The, the other thing that I've uh, learned about farmers is this. Farmers tend to work really hard. They get up early in the morning while we're still asleep, while we're still on the way to Starbucks. They've already been up five hours, right? They are hardworking people because here's the truth. It's not in your notes, but, but here's the truth. If you don't work hard on the farm, you don't eat. I like that truth. And so they're hard, hard workers. Another thing I've discovered about farmers is that uh, they're typically simple people. Now, you cannot mistake simple for stupid. Because one of the things I learned about farmers is that farmers, most of the time, are extremely intelligent and have a lot of common sense and wisdom if you just dig deep enough, right? And then the other thing that, that uh, I discovered, and especially my friends in the youth group, my, my guy friends, we picked up on this and learned this. Farmers tend to talk differently than everybody else. And so what we would do is we got it to an art form. We would imitate the guys in our church that were farmers. And we would use certain words the way they used them. And I'm going to share some of them with you and then see if you can figure out what I'm trying to say. Like, like we would talk about going to get something to drink down at the convenience store. And we go, um, I, I'm going to go get something to drink. Uh, you want to consider going? You want to? You want to? That means you want to. Do you want to? Do you want to go, you want to, let, let's go on. And then we would do this one. I got to go out to my car and check my Earl. Y'all know what your Earl is, right? That's that dipstick you pull out and there's oil on it. And then we'd say, you got to make sure that you got enough Earl in your car. To, that's how the farmers would talk. And they, they would say, say things like this, man, you're looking at that all backwards. Heard that one? 
<laughs> Some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm just telling you how to. This was our favorite one. You better mind your own business. Right? You got to take care of your own business. And that's how they would talk. Well, I never got to spend a whole lot of time on the farm. Uh, Jamie's brother Les used to work on a farm, and I guess my entire farm experience comes down to two. One is when Les would go drive his tractor uh, and plow uh, in the summer, I would go sit in the windshield and we would uh, quiz one another on memory verses, and that's how we learned scripture. Uh, and, and then the second one was my other friend, Johnny, who I grew up with and kind of lived out in the country, raised a pig. Uh, Bolivar was his name. We used to rub mayonnaise on him, not not like we're going to eat him because it would make his coat glisten and when he would show him and shows. I mean, that's how redneck we were. And, and, and so that's my whole farm experience. You know what I've discovered, I think? I think Jesus was probably comfortable on the farm. Uh, you say, what do you mean? Well, I, I think Jesus, if you'd have looked at Jesus and said, uh, you don't to, I think he'd have known exactly what you said. Because everywhere Jesus went, he was constantly, completely surrounded by farms. That, that's the environment. If you go back and read the New Testament, not just about what he did, but where he lived, everybody around him was farming. They were farming figs, they were farming olives, and they were farming grains. And so he would have been very comfortable around the farm environment. How do I know that? Because if you go back and, <coughs> excuse me, if you go back and you read, you discover that Jesus began to use farm terminology, farmville. He, he might not have had a computer plugged into the wall, but he understood the, the, the industry of agriculture, and he understood the truth that it taught us, and he began to teach about those things. And so when we begin to read through his teachings, and we discover this, that when he told the parables, nine of his parables were farm parables. They told about truth that you learn only by being on the farm. And last week, I... I kind of focused in on one, what I believe is probably the premier farm parable that teaches us not just about how we deal with finances and not just with how we deal with uh, gaining spiritual insight and spiritual truth, but it deals with every aspect of our life. It's the parable of the sower. Remember that parable? Let's read it again. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, it says, at about that same time, Jesus left the house and sat on the beach, and in no time at all, a crowd gathered along the shoreline, forcing him to get into a boat. And using the boat as a pulpit, he addressed his congregation, telling stories. What do you make of this? A farmer planted seed, and as he scattered the seed, some of it fell on the road and birds ate it. Some of it fell in the gravel, and it sprouted quickly, but it didn't put down roots. So when the sun came up, it withered just as quickly. Some fell in the weeds as it came up, and it was strangled by the weeds, and some fell on good earth and produced a harvest beyond its wildest dreams. Then he goes on in verse 18, and he says this. He says, study this story of the farmer planting seed. When anyone hears the news of the kingdom and doesn't take it in, it just remains on the surface, and so the evil one comes along and plucks it right out of that person's heart. This is the seed the farmer scatters on the road. The seed cast in the gravel, this is the person who hears and instantly responds with enthusiasm, but there is no soil of character, and so when the emotions wear off and some difficulty arrive, there is nothing to show for it. The seed cast in the weed is the person who hears the kingdom news, but weeds of worry and illusions about getting more and wanting everything under the sun strangle what was heard, and nothing comes of it. The seed cast on the good earth is the person who hears and takes in the news and then produces a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. Jesus is talking about Farmville. 
What do you do when you live on the farm? What are the lessons of the farm? Well, last week, against that backdrop, we learned some lessons. The first thing I taught you was that you cannot escape farm law. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. It doesn't matter if you've known Christ for 40 years or if you just met him or if you've never met him. We are all bound by the law of the farm, which is this, seed time and harvest. Every one of us are dealing with the issues of sowing and reaping, and there is no way to escape that law. That law rains down on the just and the unjust alike. We are all sowing and we are all reaping. And then I told you that the second thing was that our seed limits limit harvest. You'll remember that. I told you that the Bible says that if you sow stingy, you reap stingy. If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. So when you place a limit on your seeds, then you limit how much harvest you can have. That was the second lesson I taught you last week. The third lesson that I taught you last week was the one I didn't like and the one that you don't like because that lesson is this, your harvest is your fault. See, I knew I couldn't even get an amen last week. I wouldn't get one this morning. But whatever harvest you are dealing with in your life is absolutely your fault because what we sow, we always reap. And so if you're dealing with a harvest you don't like, then that harvest is a direct response from what you've been sowing in your life. And therefore, I told you that if you don't like your harvest, then the only way to change your harvest is to change your seed. Because if you change your seed, then it will change your harvest. Some of you still doing the same way, the same thing, the same way, expecting different results. Definition of insanity. The only way to get a different result is to plant different seed. And then finally, the one I told you I liked the most was I told you last week I was starting a new fan club and it's a fan club for fertilizer because I encourage you to quit fighting the fertilizer. The Bible says that unless a seed falls into the ground and is buried and dies, is covered up, that it will never reproduce after itself. It is only dead. And so I told you that God brings things into our life that are painful, that we don't enjoy, that don't always smell real nice. But those things are not intended to kill us. They don't stop growth. They produce growth. And so we should quit griping and complaining and fighting the fertilizer that God has placed in our life because he uses it, uses those things to cover us up and producing us a harvest. Well, let's go back to the farm this morning. Let's learn a few more seed lessons. The, the first lesson I want to teach you this morning is this. We got to learn some CD math. Now, some of you dealt with some folks that use CD math before and you don't like dealing with them and I don't blame you. But in this instance, I, I think we got to learn how to deal and to know CD math because we think that all, all of the issues of our life deal uh, when it comes to seed, it, it deals with addition, but I am here to tell you that not only does a seed grow up and mature, but seeds also, here's the math part, they multiply. Are y'all here this morning? I just want to make sure. Okay. I just want to make sure. Y'all, I don't know if I look so weird you can't listen or what, but uh, think about it just a moment. Have you ever uh, gone into the store to Walmart to buy corn and and you go find the ear of corn and you find one ear of corn that only has one kernel and you say I gotta have that piece of corn right that's the one you want with just one kernel on it you want to spend that money on, on a piece of corn that's got no you want a piece of corn that's got every kernel in every row you know what those kernels are don't you seeds that's what they are 
they multiply. When you put one piece of corn in the ground, one kernel of corn in the ground, it reproduces itself, but it doesn't just reproduce itself one, it multiplies, right? And so that's important for us this morning because we got to understand that when we're dealing with the seed of our life, that it will not only add, it will multiply. We got to learn seedy math, that the seed of our life multiplies. And so let me help you. Every thought that you have is a seed. Well, that went over huge. Y'all sitting there thinking about the thoughts that you've been having. That's a seed. Every word that comes out of your mouth is a seed. Every action that you participate in or that you take is a seed. And the reason that we've got to learn seedy math is because you got to know that at that moment, the moment that you plant one seed, it's not just one seed anymore. It will multiply, and therefore we've got to do a seed check and make sure that we like the seed that we're planting because the seed that you plant today in singular form you will be dealing with in bushels for weeks and months and years to come. And so we got to know that the seed of our life multiplies. Some of you think it goes like this. Well, nobody knows what I did. So it won't multiply. Wrong. Seed multiplies. It's the law of the farm. Well, it, it happened so long ago, and it's so far in my past that nobody will ever find out about it. Wrong. If you don't deal with that seed and correct your seed issue, that seed will multiply in your life, and it may take weeks or months or perhaps decades, but the moment will come that that seed will multiply in either you or in your children. Well, that went over huge too. I'm just telling you the way it is, folks. Our seed multiplies. It does not add. There is a negative connotation to this truth there's also a positive that we're going to deal with but we need to know that that when you shoot an arrow into the into the air you even on the way up you can repent and say i'm sorry i didn't mean to say what i said i didn't mean to do what i did but there's this truth that takes place it will turn and fall and it will ultimately hit the ground it does not change the consequences of shooting that arrow that is seed math that when you plant it multiplies and it comes back to us six and 80 and a hundredfold multiplying. Yeah, we, we shoot the arrow and we take actions that we don't mean to take and we say things that we don't mean to say and we repent and that pardons us from our sin, but there's no guarantee that it pardons you from your consequence because seed manifests after like kind and reproduces itself. We don't like that truth. I just want to be able to do what I want to do, pray my little prayer, Oh, y'all, come on. I'm preaching real right now. Oh, if I could just, I'll do whatever I want to do. I preconceive I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And then I'll say, God, please forgive me. And that just wipes it all clean. No, it doesn't. It cleans it out of your soul. But you're going to deal with the consequences. Okay. I told you there's a bad side. But there is a good side, too. Because the good news is this, is that not only does the devil pay off in compound interest, but God pays off 
in compound interest as well. That's the good news. That means that as we begin to sow into spiritual things and we begin to live a holy life and we begin to take the right actions and say the right words that God steps in and takes part in CD math and begins to give a, a harvest just like the devil does, God comes along and gives us greater harvest too. There is harvest. There's multiplication process here. That's why in the Bible, when uh, Jesus talks about a mustard seed of faith, I, I wish I had one. You wouldn't be able to see it. It's so tiny. But, but it's not about the size of the seed. It's the fact that seed multiplies, and the smallest seed, mustard seed faith, expands and multiplies after its kind and explodes. That's what he's saying. I, I pay off in compound interest. When you sow, there's 60-fold uh, manifestation. There's 80-fold harvest. There's 100-fold. We need to know that. that. That ought to be good news to some of you because some of you have been sowing, 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 going, man, when am I going to see the harvest? It's coming. It's the law of the farm. The harvest will follow. It's the law of the farm. There will be multiplication of your seed. So you've got to do a seed check and make sure that you're planting the right seed. The second lesson that I want to teach you this morning is one of the most profound seed lessons that I've ever learned. It has impacted my life from the moment that I learned it, even up till now, I'm still operating by this lesson, and I want to share it with you because it will change your life. I believe this with all of my heart. You've got to get this, and that is this. We must remember to make seed assignments. Nobody goes to the seed store and closes their eyes and just haphazardly picks seed off the shelf and then keeps their eyes closed and goes home and then throws them in the field somewhere and then goes, now I'm, I'm trusting God that we're going to get corn. Well, what if you planted magnolias or tulips or turnips? You're not going to get corn because inside that seed there is a DNA that assigns what it will become. Right, So good farming requires you to take the right seed, the specific seed that you're wanting to get the harvest from, and put positioning it into the right ground, and at the right time, harvest will come. That's good farming practices, right? Nobody just haphazardly throws seed, and then that's called potluck. Anybody ever go to a potluck dinner? I like potluck dinners, some of them. Like parts of the table I like and parts of the table I don't like. That's the problem with just haphazardly casting seed. What would have happened in the parable of the sower? I, I know the Bible says that the sower got a harvest that was beyond his wildest dreams. But what if the sower had taken all of his seed and put it all in the good ground? Think about what would happen then. And so we've got to learn to make seed assignments. Well, what are you saying? Well, this is what I'm saying. I am saying that we got to learn to handle our seed differently and make an assignment on purpose with our seed. And it looks like this, because it's not just about money, but let me start at money. When the offering bucket goes by here in just a few minutes, because we're doing it this way so you can practice what we're preaching about this morning. When the offering bucket goes by and you're getting ready to drop seed, that's not dollars and cents, by the way, it is seed. When you're going to drop that into that bucket, you ought to hesitate just a moment and assign your seed to its intended outcome. You understand what I'm saying? For just a moment, you ought to think, man, God, 
I, I am placing this seed into good ground on, on purpose that I am sowing for a financial miracle in my life. Or maybe you've got unsaved loved ones in your life that you've been praying for and you can give this. God, I, I'm sowing. I'm not buying a miracle. I'm not twisting your arm. I'm not preaching to you that you can twist God's arm and get your Cadillac and get your mansion. I'm just talking about good farming principles that when I sow in the ground, I give it an assignment. And so I sow this in belief that you're going to respond to my seed. And out of that, there's going to come a harvest of salvation. That happened, That ought to happen at work, by the way. When you go to work, you clock in, that's seed. And you ought to go, you know what, God, I, I clock in this morning, I plant this seed, and I give it an assignment. While I'm here, I am not working for a man. I'm working for you. And therefore, I assign my seed that souls are going to be saved today while I'm here. My family's going to be provided for while I'm here. Promotion is going to come while I'm here. Because this is the assignment I've given my seed. That ought to happen in relationships. As you interact with one another, I'm sowing into this believing that a miracle is going to happen. We must assign. See, in Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says that God spoke to Adam and said, Adam, go out and begin to name the animals. And when he did that, the Bible says that, I don't, crazy, where did he come up with duckbill platypus and uh, porcupine and where did hippopotamus, how did he come up with all this stuff? But he goes out and he begins to assign all these animals names. And the Bible says that when, it says like this, he says, whatever Adam called them, that was their name. In other words, God gave Adam the ability and the power to assign. We've forgotten that ability in our own lives. And so what I am saying to you this morning is that it ought to change how we give in the offering. It ought to change how we serve. It ought to change how we live our lives. We ought to be going through our daily life on purpose and on purpose making assignments. When we use our time, we ought to give it an assignment. When we use our finances, we ought to give it an assignment. When we give our treasures, we ought to give it an assignment. It works like this, and then I'll move on. Julie and I attended a conference one time, and we were struggling financially, severely. And I said, we were getting ready to go to the meeting. We'd been there a couple of days, and it was like the last day. And, and uh, I said, babe, we need to give in this in an offering. And she said, we don't have it. And I said, okay, then let's write a check for 30 bucks." She said, we don't have it. I said, I understand. Write it, and then let's pray over this, and let's ask God that we need God. This is how specific I'm asking you to get from here on out. I said, we're going to ask God out of this $30 check to give us a hundredfold. Y'all can settle for 60-fold if you want to. I, if, if you want to, you can just settle for 60. I, I decided that God promises that some of our seed brings back a hundredfold. And I said, God, we need a hundredfold uh, manifestation harvest off this, and we sold it with an assignment. First time I'd ever done it, within two to three weeks, $3,000 out of nowhere. So did I twist God's arm? No. That's immature thinking. We just assigned the seed, and God responded to mustard seed size faith and blessed. Assign your seed. Don't just throw it out there and, well, whatever we get, we'll get. No, that's a terrible way to harvest. What if you do that and you get a harvest you don't like? It would be better to take the seed and assign it specifically for harvest. 
The third thing I would say to you this morning is that we must practice seed security. Tim Maloney, who is a farmer and a research um, guy out of Wisconsin, says this. He says, yield potential, he's talking about soybean and corn plants. He says, yield potential is determined early in a plant's life. He goes on and he says, that's why seed treatments that protect these, these seeds in their earliest, most vulnerable stages are so crucial. And so what the parable of the sower teaches us is this, that as we move through life, our seed becomes vulnerable to birds and to weeds and to elements, and we've got to practice seed security. So this morning, I want to encourage you to protect your seed on two levels. There are two entities, if you will, that are trying to destroy your seed. The first is we've got to learn to protect our seed from the enemy. I just came to remind somebody this morning that, yes, there's a God out there, but, yes, there is also a devil. And he has a very specific job description. His job description is to steal, kill, and destroy. Because, hear me this morning, the devil knows that if he can steal or kill or destroy your seed, he will deny your harvest. We think the devil's after our harvest. I got news for you. He's after your seed. Because he knows if you harvest, it's over. You, you, if you get your harvest, yeah, you'll enjoy it for a season. But if he can get your seed, it, it's that multiplication. He understands it too. It will reproduce after its own kind. So if I can get your seed, I destroy your harvest. Well, I'm not going to dwell a long time here, but let me just, I'm going to come back one of these days and preach a series called uh, You Need an Enemy because I, I, don't, I don't want you to become discouraged by the fact that there's a devil out there. In fact, I'm glad he's out there. You need to be opposed. We're only as strong as our strongest enemy. An unopposed life is an undisciplined life. Listen, the only reason you pray as hard as you pray is because of the enemy that's out there. If everything was always right and everything was always good, you wouldn't pray because I wouldn't either. But because there's an enemy out there, it keeps me on my knees and it keeps me on my guard. We need the enemy to oppose us. And because we know he's out there trying to get our seed, it keeps us on edge. But I'm telling you this morning, we got to realize he's after our seed. How does he destroy our seed? I think the number one trick, that the enemy uses to, to steal and destroy our seed is this. He distracts us with our seed. What do you mean? Well, what he'll do is he'll get you to sow your seed into ground that will never produce a harvest. He'll get you to, to grow comfortable working a dead-end job and sow all your seed there so that you don't have any time and no resources and no energy to go somewhere else. He will get you to, to, to sow and distract your seed into a dead-end relationship knowing that it's never going to go anywhere, but he knows that if he can just keep you distracted long enough and keep you investing in this one relationship all of your life, you'll never move out of that field. I'm preaching real good right now. He knows that if he can get you caught up in and sowing all of your seed into a dead church and you can, he can convince you to become comfortable in a place with no harvest, that at the end of the day, you won't have any seed left to sow. He distracts us. So what we do is we play right into his hands. And we waste our seed, our time, our talent, our treasure on things that ultimately will produce no harvest. 
I'm going to get real specific with you. For instance, some of us are investing our emotional seeds and our emotional energy in relationships that if we would spend the same amount of emotion and the same amount of energy and the same resources on our spouse instead of that other person we're flirting with, it would produce a greater harvest, but the enemy distracts us. I knew I couldn't get nobody to shout me down right now. But that's what we do when God brings Christian people into our lives and he wants us to spend our time and our invest our energies in them. The devil will distract us and bring good people, good people into our life that we spend all of our time, all of our energy in, and instead of growing, we begin to decline, and then we'll fight about it. Y'all don't look at me like that. I know parents sitting here right now are dealing with that with their teenagers right now. You know that if they spend any more time around those people, it's going to distract them from their relationship with the Lord. But we will fight for our distraction. Okay. You don't have to agree with me for me to think I'm right. (laughs) Because what happens then is somebody comes along out of concern for us, and they see that we're we're on a, a dangerous path and we're not investing in our relationships the way we should and the energy that should be going to our spouse is going to somebody else or the, the, our relationship with God's not like it was because we're distracted by so-and-so. They'll come along and out of concern for us, they'll say, hey, the devil, they may not say it just like this and they may not dress up in a crazy outfit to say it, but they, they would say, hey, the devil is trying to distract you. And you know what we do? We fight, we get mad, and we go ballistic because we want to play right into the enemy's hands. We waste our seed on temporary things. The second entity that we must protect our seed from is us. Come on, everybody say this with me, me. Sometimes we are our biggest enemy. We blame it on the devil, and it was our fault. See, what the deal is, is is this, is too many of us eat our own seed. If we're not careful, what we do is we focus so entirely on us that we forget that our seed wasn't even intended just for us, and it's not just about us, and it outlives us, but we get so consumed by us that we eat our own seed. If there was ever a generation that was on the face of the earth that was so caught up in instant gratification and instant satisfaction, it is this generation. We will bankrupt our children to get what we want when we want it, which is now. Because what we do is I want everything that it took 45 years for my mom and dad to get, I want it by the time I'm 20. And I don't care how many credit cards I have to max out. And I don't care about the fact that they drove a car held together by bailing wire and duct tape for 40 years. And now all of a sudden they've got a $40,000 car. I want it right now. Yeah, I still work at Burger King, but I want it right now. Come on now. We eat our seed. We, we're so caught up in the temporary, we're so caught up in the right now, we're so caught up in my own wants and desires that I will forget about tomorrow and I'll forget to look beyond what I'm doing right now and I eat my own seed. 
In the Old Testament, it happened like this. Elijah comes on to a widow, and the widow's outside, I guess, cooking a dinner. And the Bible says it's her last meal. She's got just enough meal and enough oil to make one little cake. And she tells the the prophet. The prophet walks up to her and says, feed me first. And she says, no, you don't understand. I'm going to cook this one cake, and me and my son are going to eat. We're going to die. That's her seed. We would have eaten it and died. That's just the way we are. We need to get over that. Because somehow in that conversation, she was, real, she was in reality, she was living in today, but she had an eye towards a harvest that was beyond her, and she obeyed the voice of God, and she fed the prophet instead. And the Bible says that throughout that entire famine, her oil never stopped flowing. She, she had more than enough for her family and her friends, and it just kept reproducing itself because she understood that I cannot eat my own seed. And I am challenging you this morning, quit eating your seed. Quit living in so much today that you don't realize that there is a destiny and a harvest out there, not only for you, but for your children and your children's children. That may mean you may have to put some stuff off. It's thick in here, man. I must have started meddling. Because our seed outlives us. It's supposed to. Our seed is supposed to outreach us. It's supposed to. But how many of us come to the end of our life and there's nothing left for anybody else? I'm not talking about wheels. I'm talking about your heritage and your legacy. I'm talking about your your time and your talent. I'm going to tell you right now, folks, your kids are never going to get as young as they are right now. And so if you invest all of your time in your job, you're eating your seed. Your spouse is never going to be more available to you than they are at this moment. So if you put, put man, uh, uh, I'm going to invest my time elsewhere. Listen, you're eating your seed. God has given you everything you need. But we always want something out there somewhere. Hey, right now, I'm just going to be real blunt with you. Your kids would gladly give up the iPods and the cell phones and the designer clothes for about 15 good minutes of time with you. But we eat our seed. We cannot allow the need of the moment to become so pressing that we lose sight of tomorrow's harvest. And so this morning, what I want us to do is I'm going to pray over you. Some of you are dealing with the negative impact of CD math, and you've sown some things that now they're coming back to you, and it's multiplying. And I wished I could pray that God would change the consequences, but that's not farm law. But we can ask God to strengthen you to deal with the consequences and to learn. Some of you are dealing with the good side of CD math and God is blessing you. I'm just going to pray that God is going to let it be a hundredfold blessing, that he's just going to continue to give you great favor and great harvest. I pray that you begin to protect your seed from the enemy and you won't become distracted and that you won't eat your own seed. And then we're going to practice what we've been preaching this morning. We're going to take up our offering and I'm going to ask you to do something. Start it today and do it tomorrow morning when you clock in and do it 
Tuesday when you spend time with somebody and do it Wednesday when you're utilizing your funds and your talent that you learn on a daily basis to assign your seed. We're going to practice that together this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you teach us how to live. I thank you this morning that you give us each seed Each and every one of us have seed in our life. God, I pray that we would learn to handle our seed correctly. Father, there are folks in here that have sown, and now they're reaping, and they don't even like what they're reaping. It's been negative. It's a negative experience for them. God, I I, I pray that you'd give them the strength to change their seed, that they would begin to plant something different and that it would begin to multiply towards us a, a harvest of righteousness. God, I pray that they would begin to change the seed that they speak, change the seed that they act, change the seed that they think, and as they do that, it would begin to multiply back to them a hundredfold and they would begin to see great harvest. Father, I pray that we would protect our seed. God, there are some folks under the sound of my voice that are distracted. They're spending time and energy and resources, talents, and they're placing them in ground that will never produce a harvest, and they become comfortable with no harvest. I pray this morning that they would come out of that distracted state, and they would recognize that the enemy is on a, on a path and on the war path, and his plan is to destroy and to kill and steal our seed. Father, I pray that you'd teach us how to protect our seed from the enemy. I pray that we wouldn't fight for our distraction, but we would understand that there's good ground and you're calling us to plant in that ground. Father, I pray that you'd teach us not to eat our seed. There are some of us under the sound of my voice this morning. We're so caught up in us and so caught up in instant gratification and so caught up in instant feel good that we have almost bankrupted our future and our harvest and the destiny of our life. God, I pray this morning we would not eat our seed. We would see into tomorrow. We would live in today, but we would be willing to do the hard work of also looking forward into tomorrow, and we would lay the plans out necessary and make the decisions and the choices necessary to produce a far-reaching, long-lasting harvest. Not only for us, but for the generations that will follow us. Father, this morning as we receive our tithes and offerings, I pray, teach us to give our seed an assignment. God, I pray that as we sow, as as that offering bucket goes by, we would take just a moment and we would think very specifically about the needs of our lives. I take you at your word, Father. It's not the size of the seed. It's my attitude towards the seed. And I would plan it specifically for a specific outcome. And I would begin to see your hand at work because you're faithful. Teach us to live on the farm, God. And Father, we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. The ushers are coming right now to receive your morning tithes and offerings. I encourage you. Hey, we're in no hurry. If you need to just hold that bucket for a second and really think through what your assignment is, then I encourage you to do that. Mike, would you come and um, lead us? Have you already prayed over our movers yet? You've prayed over the cards? Or have you given them an opportunity to move as well?
Okay. All right. He's going to come back and do one more prayer. Listen, if you need special prayer this morning, our prayer team is out in the West Lobby. They'll be, be positioned there. And they'll lay hands with, on you and agree with you. Um, and it's so good to see you. Thank you for being here. Be back tonight for Passion University. I promise you it's going to be incredible. Mike? Amen. If you didn't know, Passion Church is a place of prayer. Amen. We don't want to ever end a service without giving you an opportunity to receive Christ as your Savior. Christ was the seed for your salvation. You may be here and you may be thinking, well, if Christ was to crack the clouds and come back, I don't really know. I would go with them. We don't ask that question much anymore, do we? We just ask all kind of other questions. We try to be real nice and accepting so everybody will just come and hang out with us. And we want that. But what we want more than that is for you to make a move towards Christ. It's for you to accept him as your Savior. If you're sitting in here today and you would say, if Christ comes back and I don't know if I would go with him, you need to make a move towards him. You need to receive him as your savior. It's simple. We're not going to make, make a spectacle out of it or a spectacle out of you. We just want to give you an opportunity to receive him into your life. If that's you, lift your hand. Simply lift your hand if that's you. Mike, I need Christ in my life. If that's you, lift your hand. Let's pray, Father God. We just thank you for today. We thank you for the word that went up today, God. We thank you for farming principles, God. Understanding our seed, God. We thank you for these people that are here today. We ask you will just continue to bless them and continue to hold them in your arms, Father. We honor you for them. Thank you for them coming out this morning and being here. Father, now that we have encountered you, now that we have been equipped through your word, let us go out and engage our culture. We thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming out to Passion Church. God bless you.
It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.